Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. This is a way of introduction. I am addicted. I've collected footsteps before dawn. Seen places I never knew existed. Run to the moon and back. Been a rabbit for the neighborhood dogs. Obeyed the voice in my head. Let music carry me when I couldn't. Raced against yesterday. Let the world be my witness. Measured myself in meters, kilometers, and finally character. I've plugged into a higher purpose. Left this world and come back changed. All right, so I know you can't tell it by looking at me now, but the truth is is that I have a long history in my past of running. Uh, here's how it happened. I, in seventh grade, I had grand visions in my mind of being the next great football player. And so as an eighth grade student, I went out for football. The only problem was, was that as an eighth grader, I weighed 89 pounds. I was this young, strapping, buff beefed up 89 pounder and I went out for football and there was no problem with that except for the fact that about two or three weeks into the season my coach decided to run this drill called a fumble drill and what they do is they take two guys and they face them to, uh, against one another and they drop a ball in the middle and they blow the whistle no problem as an 89 pound uh, pounder I was quick I could get to the ball fast the only problem was is that they matched me up against Corwin Walker who weighed 189 pounds, and when he hit me, I, this is no exaggeration, this is exactly how it happened. When he hit me, when I was able to get up, my helmet was completely backwards on my head. I, I couldn't see nothing. My coach ran over, and I, and I peeled that football helmet off and walked off the football field and made the smartest decision of my life that I was not called to be the greatest football player in the world, but instead I was called to be a cross-country runner. And so somehow I found my way to my cross-country team, one of the best decisions I ever made. There you go, right there. I'm exposing reality. Y'all, Do y'all need me to pick out which one of those guys I am in that picture? Uh, you know, I, I just, um, it's, the, it's the guy in the shorts. Yeah, um, yeah, I've never seen those legs before. You won't see them again either. Uh, <clears throat> I usually dress up for these sermon series, not in this one. God help us. And uh, so there I am in all my glory and splendor and all 89 whopping pounds of me. And uh, we would run races. We would train. And uh, what we did is we competed in 5K races, 3.1 miles. And as a freshman, uh, this is not my freshman year. That's actually my senior year. I'd, I'd bulked up to 120. Uh, and, and so as a freshman, I began to run. And I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't do a lot of training. I just ran with the guys in practice. We'd run about three miles in practice as, my, as a freshman. And lo and behold, at the end of the year, we went to state. 
And as a freshman at state, I took off on the race and came in 130th, uh, somewhere in that neighborhood, way up up there. I think there may have been 131 runners. I don't know. But there were somehow around 130. But something happened to me over the course of my experience in cross country. My freshman year, I didn't do so well, but began to to train. And uh, these guys became my uh, teammates, and we began to train together. And so by the time I was a senior in high school, I went from running three miles a day to running 10 miles a day. I would get up in the morning before school and run three miles. And then in the afternoon with these guys, I would run another six miles. And I'll tell you how we did that here in just a moment. And then at the evening on my own, I'd run an an additional mile. And lo and behold, my senior year, all the way from a freshman coming in at 130th, as a senior, I went to state and I hit the wrong button and got me some smoke to announce this great accomplishment. I, I, I finished 11th. And, and that's me running in state through the pain, and you see the agony on my face. But what you're getting ready to see is me receiving my medal for making all, Amer- all honorable mention all state for finishing 11th. Come on now, y'all got to be proud of me. I, from 130th to 11th and getting a medal at, at state for top 15. And I was, man, I was so proud. And I said, I'll never run again. And I've been a man of my word. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you why next week. But, um, the reason that that happened, I, I learned a lot of valuable lessons running, a uh, lot of life lessons, but also some very spiritual lessons that we're going to talk about. And I honestly believe that one of the reasons that happened is because these guys that ironically, uh, if you paid real close attention and you looked closely, I was the only white guy on my team. Uh, the rest of them, I went to Anadarko High School, which is the home of the Warriors, and 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 so my teammates were all American Indians, and they exposed me to a training method called Indian running. It's kind of ironic that they call it that, but that's what it was called, and we're going to talk about that, and I'm going to explain it, but first what I want to do is I want to take you to a portion of Scripture in the New Testament that we're going to kind of use over the course of the next three weeks to, to learn lessons about how to run. What are the road rules? And so Hebrews chapter 12 Beginning in verse 1, this is a very familiar portion of Scripture. Most of you probably have it memorized in the King James. I'm going to read it to you out of the message because it says it a little bit differently. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on. It means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins, Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God, he could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility that he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Verse 12, so don't sit around on your hands. No more dragging your feet. Clear the path for long-distance runners so no one will trip and fall, so none, no one will step in a hole and sprain an ankle. Help each other out and run for it. Indian running. Indian running uh, is this 
method of training that I began to get involved in as a senior in high school. Actually, we started it my junior year and carried it on through my senior year. We would leave from Anadarko High School at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, think about this. Uh, think about the temperature along about second semester, and uh, people are burning up. And we would take off from Anadarko High School and run three miles to the top. Now, this won't mean anything to some of you, but some of you know. We would run three miles to the top of Indian City Hill. Uh, I see my sister going, oh, because she knows. It was like this. It's not a mountain. We don't have many of those in Oklahoma, but it was close. Uh, and we would run up to the top and back, and we would run it the same way we did. In, well, let, let me show you instead of trying to explain. This is what Indian running looks like. So Indian running, what you do is you'd get in a single file line and you'd take off at a good pace and then the person in the last would run, sprint as fast as they could to the front. When they got to the front, the next person at the end would keep sprinting and we would run all the way there and all the way back, just like that, as hard as we could. And that increased my ability to run quickly. So there are some lessons that we need to learn about Indian running. Uh, for instance, uh, when, when you're sprinting to catch up to the runners that are in front of you, it increases you and causes you to run to greater speeds. And if you fail to sprint to the front, then what happens is the system would break down and others would be punished for your failure. You catch that? If the guy at the back didn't sprint full speed to the front, then the system would break down and others would be punished for your failure. The momentum of those in front of you would cause your speed to increase. I don't know what that sounds like to you, but that sounds like Hebrews chapter 12 to me. And Paul teaches us some valuable lessons regarding this kind of running. So let me teach you four quick lessons this morning about running that you need to know from Hebrews chapter 12. The first one is this. Don't make fun of the rabbit. I don't know what it was, but my uh, American Indian teammates gave me a nickname. I can bring you my yearbook, and they don't call me Steve. They call me Rabbit. Because what I would do is, for some reason, this is just the way it worked out. When we would start practice and head out, I was the one designated to set the pace. And so I would take off as fast as I could, and they would chase me and go into Indian running formation and then pass me. I was the rabbit. And what Paul says is this, and you know it in the King James, there is a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. In other words, there are people who have gone before us, who have run the race ahead of us. They've set the pace for us, and now they are watching and cheering us on and rooting for us. And Paul says we can't let them down. Right? And so there's this rabbit, there's this pace setter out there. And the reason I bring that to your attention is this. I recognize, and I want you to understand that I recognize this, 
that as a congregation, as a whole, not everybody fits this, this, this characteristic, but for the most part, we are a very young congregation. Age-wise, individuals, and corporately, we are a very young congregation. The second thing I want you to recognize, and I recognize this too, is that for the most part, we don't do church like they used to do church. Right? And, and I want to say to you that, and I want you to understand where I'm going with this, I'm okay with all of that. Except for this, there is a danger that as a young congregation, age-wise for you individually and age-wise for us as a congregation, if we are not careful, what we will do is we will have the tendency to ridicule and to dismiss and diminish the rabbit that has gone before us. And so what I want to say to you today is that there are people and there are churches that have gone before us and have done things differently than we do them. And if we are not careful, we will look down our nose at them and say their ways are antiquated, their methods are outdated, and they have no bearing on us. But what I came to tell you is this. If it wasn't for those that have gone before us, if it wasn't for the elders in the faith that set the foundation, if it wasn't for the old folks that had gone before us and the old churches that were there before us, we would not be moving at the speed that we are moving at now. We cannot diminish what they do or what they did. Do I like the running style of all the people that have gone before me? Do I like the methods that they used, all of them that they used before us? Do I want to do church exactly the way they did it? No. But at the same time, I cannot discount and I cannot ridicule the pace that they set for us. I want, to, I want you to hear me. You have got to understand as a three-year-old congregation that there are churches that were here long before we were ever even a dream in, in my eye or anybody else's eye. They set the pace. They established a foundation. They, they produced doctrine and a method of running that we have got to honor and respect. And so, hear me very carefully. We will not ever, ever make fun of a church that still does it the old way. Is it the best way? Maybe not. Is it the most effective way? Perhaps not. But I am not going to ridicule what they do because we are running how we're running now, and we're running at the speed that we're running now because of the sweat and the blood and the hard work and the sacrifices and the efforts of people like that that have catapulted us into our destiny and into our future. So I need to say this to you because I hear a bunch of people. It's not a new thing. It's been done for centuries people bash church and say you don't need church what you really need is to be connected relationally and I understand what they're saying but there's another element too Christianity is not just about being connected relationally it is also about being connected generationally that's why God is referred to as the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob. He is God from the grandfather to the grandson to the great-grandson and on and on and on. And we must become connected not only relationally. I want you to be able to get along with one another, but I also want you to be able to reach back and be connected 
generationally so that we understand that there are people that have gone before us that have set the pace, and we are actually building on what they did. And so scoff at the older set if you want to. Laugh at their songs and ridicule their strictness and their dogmatic stances if you want to. Discount their beliefs and their standards as antiquated and outdated. But you will do so to your own demise. Because they set the pace for us. And so we must honor them. So what I am challenging you to do is to capitalize on the momentum gained by those who went before us. But to go one step beyond that, I don't want you just to capitalize it. I want you to make it a point to reach back and to honor those people that have gone before you. You can do that inside this body with people that have been in the faith longer than you, and you can do that towards other bodies as we celebrate what God is doing in their midst. We should honor them. So don't discount truth and teachings and standards just because they seem old. If it wasn't for the rabbits that set the pace, we wouldn't be where we are today. I want to make a statement that you have got to capture into your spirit this morning. Listen, here it is. Old beliefs aren't always bad beliefs. Some of you have listened to your grandmothers and your grandfathers and your mom and dad talks about their belief and you go, that was old. It doesn't matter to me. Listen, just because it was an old belief doesn't mean it was a bad belief. And there is truth to be gained from what they taught us and what they stood for. We should be thankful this morning that somebody had enough guts to stand up against the culture and declare this is how we should live. They're the rabbits. The second thing I want to point out to you is an important truth and that is this. Lone rangers become lone victims. Paul said it like this. There is a great cl cloud of witnesses. That indicates that there is a huge number of individuals. It's a group. Then he goes on and he says in the King James, let us run. That's plural. Wasn't great in English. But us is plural. More than one. What he's trying to teach us is that we are supposed to be connected and we are supposed to run this race together. When I was in high school, I had a couple of teammates that didn't want to end in run. So what we would do is those of us that were ending running would take off, headed for Indian City Hill, and something interesting would happen every time without exception. Those that wouldn't want to run with us, I don't know if they were lazy or if they just didn't want the harder workout, but it never failed. What would happen is we would get to the turnaround point and start back, and they would still be headed out. They didn't run as fast as us. And nine times out of ten, what we would find, those guys that were running by themselves, they weren't even running. They were walking. They had quit. They'd given up. What I've discovered and what Paul is saying to us is this, is that we are supposed to be uh, connected because here, this happens in the literal sense that if you are an individual that can run all by yourself physically running and run faster than you would if you were running with a group, you are the exception, not the rule. Because we tend to run faster when we run with partners. Why? Because when you're by yourself, you have a greater tendency to slow down, to slough off, to walk, to get discouraged, to give in to temptation, to veer off the trail, to quit, and to give up when you're by yourself. But when you're running with others, you have a tendency to run faster. Let me get real practical with you. That's why 
when some of you start missing on Sunday mornings on a regular basis, we start calling you and emailing you. It's not because we want to keep up attendance reports. Some of you think that's why we bother. Oh, they just want my numbers. I, they got a numbers in turn. Absolutely not. The reason we call you and check on you is because I've discovered this. Lone rangers become lone victims, and if you're out there running your race all by yourself, you will lose. You'll quit. You'll give up. See, Jesus approached the men that would become his disciples, and he made a profound statement to them that I think is important for us to see. He says to them, I want to be with you. Think about that a moment. Jesus, the Son of God that has all power, all ability at his disposal. He, at any moment, he can call on all the power of the universe. If there was ever an individual that walked the face of the earth that needed nobody else, it should have been Jesus. And yet even Jesus said, I need to be with you. And that ought to speak to us and understand that we cannot run this race all by ourselves. We are not called to isolation. Christianity was never intended. This walk with Christ was never intended to be walked out in isolation. We are to be connected to one another. And so if you run the race alone, you'll lose. Let me say something to you. I've heard this before. There is nothing heroic about running by yourself. I've heard this statement before. I don't need anybody else. Me and Jesus. That's all I need. Just give me Jesus. I don't need you. I don't need any friends. I don't need any accountability partners. I don't need any prayer partners. Just me and Jesus. You will lose. I'm not diminishing Jesus' power. I just know that he's designed this race for us to be connected with one another. There is nothing heroic about doing it all by yourself. In fact, I would declare to you this morning and submit to you that it's not heroic, that's suicidal. Because you become easy pickings for the enemy. Now, some of you in this building right now choose by your own choice you are running alone. And I want to tell you something, you won't make it. Some of you choose to run alone because you can't get along with anybody else. So you just don't have any relationship. Grow up. Get over yourself. Quit acting like you got it all together. Get into relationship with somebody so they can help you on your path. Some of you don't run with anybody else because you've been hurt. You've been hurt by a church. You've been hurt by a pastor. You've been hurt by fellow believers. And now what you do is when you come into a place like this, all you want to do is talk about the weather. And you keep people at arm's distance. And you won't let anybody get a glimpse of your soul. And you stay disconnected and isolated. You will lose. When all of hell comes against your life, when there's tragedy that breaks in on your life, when there's hard, heartache and, and hardship that comes into your life, you got to have somebody. And so I am encouraging, if you're running on your own, by choice, stop it. Get in relationship. Get into a group. Some of you are running alone, not by choice, but you just can't seem to connect with anyone. I, and, and you're sitting around waiting on somebody to approach you. Would you help me? On? No, I, I am challenging you this morning to purposely and intentionally engage yourself in a relationship with other people, and quit waiting on somebody to approach you. 
get in the race. Now, there is a third category. The third category is those people that are running alone because God has allowed you to enter a stretch or a season. That's a key word, by the way. A season of isolation. God does do that occasionally. He does that to get our attention and to work on us. But the key word in that phrase is it is only for a season. You are not intended to walk out your entire Christian life alone. And so if God has you in a season of isolation, fine, run in that season. But when that season ends, and it will, get back into the herd. Christianity is a herd. It, we should run in packs. Why? Because there's strength in numbers. Uh, Devin, my nine-year-old, is playing football. Um, he already weighs more than I did as a, never mind, um, which is a good thing for him. I'm happy. But I've discovered something. They only have 16 players on their team, so those of you that are football aficionados know that you have to have 11 on 11, right? Well, they don't. They've got 16, so it's tough for them to practice. So what we've done is we put them on the line, and then, like, I get to play, like, a fullback with no pads. And we hike the ball, and I run through the line with no pads. And I've I discovered a truth. One of those little rugrats can't hurt me. But when all 15 lower their stinking little heads and put that face mask right in your gut, they can put the stinking smack down on you. Because there is strength in numbers. I can take one by myself, but 15 I can't handle. And that is the perfect picture of how God intended for us to run together. Because when we're alone, the devil has this ability to, to lay us out. He can put the smack down on us. But when we're in a group, when we're together, when we're walking through life together, when I'm rejoicing, when you're rejoicing, and when you're in trouble, I'm in trouble. And when you're victorious, I'm victorious. And when you're experiencing tragedy, I'm right there with you, going through it with you. Then what we discover is that the devil ain't so bad. You ain't bad. I saw Rocky sing. You ain't bad. You ain't so bad. Is that all you got? Come on. Y'all know that scene. That's how I feel towards the devil when I'm in a group. But when I'm all by myself, he's bad. And so we've got to get back together. Now, there's an important truth here just as a side note that I want to lay out and then I'll move on. And that is this. There's a, this truth is important. You cannot forget that how you run your race impacts others. I need you to hear that. Because we are connected, how you run your race impacts others that are running too. And if you don't run your race well, it may impact those that are running next to you. In fact, let me say it like this, that how you run may cause someone else to crash and burn if you don't run with diligence. And so you've got to run your race well. Now, key component. In order to do that, you have to run with the right people. Come on, parents. Nod your head yes, parents, because we're trying to teach our children right now. Run with the right folks, right? Okay, why do we forget that lesson when we become parents? We teach our kids, 
run with the right pack, but then we'll run with anybody. You got to run with the right folks. Now I'm gonna here's how here's the kind of people we need to run with. We need to learn the power of the push. All right, these are the kind of people that we run with. Indian running pushes you. You don't run your normal pace. You run faster. I was talking to Alan. He's a cross-country coach, and he sees it every day. When they end and run, the, the slowest runner on the team suddenly has the ability to run faster than they've ever run before. Why? Here's why. I don't know how to illustrate it for you other than this. When I was at the back of the line and it was my turn to sprint, there were many days that I didn't feel like it. More times than not, I was exhausted. I'd eaten Doritos for lunch and didn't feel like running, and I didn't want to run. But there's something about being in a group of people that when I would take around that end, as exhausted as I was, knowing they were counting on me, as I would start up the line, they would see me struggling, and those guys would begin to shout out encouragement. You can do it. Come on, Steve. Get to the front. Run fast. Sprint. Get there. Because they knew their speed was determined by whether or not I was up to speed. They understood the power of the push. Paul states it like this in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. I want you to catch this. But exhort one another daily. I want that to sink in. Dramatic pause. Y'all getting used to these dramatic pauses. I'm going to have to do something else. Exhort one another daily. That is our responsibility and obligation that every day of our life we should be encouraging someone to run faster than they're running now. In fact, Barnabas in the New Testament was an individual that understood that. You do know that Barnabas' real name was not Barnabas, right? It was Joseph. His actual, literal, mother-given name was Joseph. They changed his name from Joseph to Barnabas. Do you know why? Because Barnabas means the son of encouragement. He was so involved on a daily basis of encouraging other people to run this race well. Come on, you can make it. You can do it. Hang in there. Don't give up. Don't quit. That they actually changed his name to reflect who he was. I've got a question for you this morning. Who have you Barnabized lately? No, really. Who have you on a daily basis encouraged? Because here's my concern. I don't hear much encouragement anymore. What I hear is ridicule, and I hear judgment, and I often hear condemnation. I even hear sadness. Well, they fell into this, and we go, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. But when was the last time that we did what Paul told us to do and opened our mouth and encouraged somebody? I just don't hear many more, let's go, don't quit, don't give up, you can make it, hold on, you're going to finish, you can do it. I don't hear that anymore. What I hear is, told you so, if you'd listen to me. And Paul says, it's our duty in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, to spur. Get that mental picture in your eyes. I, I ought to illustrate it and go buy me some spurs and show you what it feels like. To spur one another on to good works. I ought to look every day for an opportunity to encourage you to do better than you're doing right now. There's legend that God went to the devil and decided that what he was going to do was he was going to reduce the 
devil's armory to one. He went to the devil and he said, choose whatever fiery dart you want to keep. That's the only one you're going to get. You can choose lust. You can choose alcoholism. You can choose pornography. You can choose any of those things that you want to choose, but you can only have one. And the devil chose the power of discouragement. And this is what he said. He said, if only I can persuade Christians to be thoroughly discouraged, they will make no further effort, and I shall be enthroned in their lives. William Barclay said this. He said, one of the highest duties, in, one of the highest of human duties is the duty of encouragement. Another man said it like this. He said, correction does much, but encouragement does more. And what I am saying to you this morning is that I believe many of you are called and have the responsibility, all of us are called and have the responsibility to encourage one another. What is up with us? We'll watch somebody be faithful. We'll watch someone slave away to do their very best, to serve faithfully week after week, to run sound week after week, to usher week after week, to greet week after week, take care of our kids week after week. And we won't say one word of encouragement. Then we wonder why they get tired and quit. Or we'll watch someone struggle. And we'll point fingers and laugh at them. But we won't, or we'll say this, I love you. I'll pray for you. Thanks. But why don't you open your mouth and encourage me and say, you can do this. Because some of the people you're sitting next to right now are about to give up on their marriage, on their ministry, on their dream, on their hopes. And all it would take is one person grabbing them, looking them in the eyes, saying, don't give up. Don't quit. Jamie had a a learning disability quote at school. He couldn't learn quite like the other kids learned. School was tough for him. One day after school, as was their common practice, his mom is waiting outside in the car, and Jamie didn't really care for school too much, and most dad, most days were not good days. But this day when Jamie come busting out of the school, he's got this huge smile on his face ear to ear, and he's running and bouncing and waving his arms and he jumps in the car, and his mom can't figure out what's going on, and, and uh, Jamie pipes up real loud, and she's, she's like, what's wrong, Jamie? And he says, nothing, nothing. Mom, Mom, you're not going to believe this. I got the best part of all in the school play. And she knew something was going on, and so she stopped him and said, that's cool. I'm so proud of you. That's wonderful. But what part did you get? And his response was this. Mom, I've been chosen to clap and cheer for all the others. And what I want to say to you this morning is this. You may not have been chosen to have the microphone, and you may not be chosen to lead worship, and you may not be chosen for those prominent things in the church that you think are so important. But maybe God has given you the best job of all, to encourage clap for you don't understand Steve I can sing better than the person that's being so chosen to sing I understand that you don't understand Steve I can preach so much better than you I understand that 
But maybe in the design, the divine design of God's kingdom, what he's done is he's picked you out and singled you out as the one individual that could sit on the sidelines and handle it and say, I will applaud for them and I will encourage them and I will cheer them on. That's the best job of all. The power of the push resides in you. And you have the ability to keep people that are about to quit. Keep them moving. And finally, I want to point out to you that our final task, according to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12 and 13, is that we are called to point out the potholes. We cannot become so focused on our own race. Hear me. We cannot become so caught up in our own blessings. God bless me. God give me. I need. I want that we aren't concerned about those that are coming behind us. We are called. We are commanded to clear the way for others. We are called and commanded to point out the potholes so that we help others run the race easier than we're running it. I think we get so caught up in our own race that we don't care for those behind us. That's why Paul commands us in another book. He says for the older men to grab the younger men and help them. And he tell, tells the older ladies to grab the younger ladies and mentor them. That's what we've got to do. That's clearing potholes. That is, that is a crucial element to where we're headed. When you come next week and you hear about some of the things that we're going to do, I got to have some of you that are mature in the faith to recognize that this isn't just about me finishing well. It's about me grabbing people behind me and helping them run too. And so let me say it like this. If you've been running this race called Christian life for any length of time, I need you to reach back and begin to give road conditions to those that are brand new. So let me put it real practical for you. If you've been through a battle with alcohol in your past, I know the tendency is, is that once you come to church, you want to become real quiet about that, and you're ashamed of it, and you let shame keep you from helping anybody. I'm declaring to you, if you've ever battled alcohol at all, what you ought to do is find a young person or a young Christian that is battling that and point out the pothole to them and say, if you go that path, I've been that path before, and if you keep dabbling with this, it's going to lead you to destruction. If you've, if you've endured a divorce... What typically happens is church in church is you feel like a second-class citizen and we put you off on a shelf somewhere and say you can't do anything. I got a better idea. If you have endured a divorce, why don't you look around you and find some young couples that are dating or that just got married that are struggling and go to them and say, be careful, build systems, build guardrails, build accountability so this won't happen to you. I've been through this and this is hell on earth and you don't want to go through this. Some of you have been through nightmarish tragedy and trauma. And what the enemy wants to do is keep you wrapped up in despair and depression so that you won't tell anybody about it, and I don't want to live that again. But what God is trying to do is get you to reach back and find somebody that's just now entering the dark days, and you go lean on them and say, I've been through this before, and I'm a testimony and a witness to the fact that you can make it. Don't give up. Don't quit. Point out the potholes. Give road conditions. That's what we're supposed to do for one another. Let me illustrate it like this. I had a conversation with a gentleman a few years ago, about a year ago. We were two years old. And I, he had planted a church decades before. 
please understand where I'm going with this. This is a mindset that has more to do with than just church planning. It has to do with a, a Christian mindset that we've got to change. Most of us have this mindset. I began to talk to him. We were two years old, and I began to talk to him about our early days and talk about the financial struggles, and he could relate. He, he shared with me that, that he had planted a church, and he said, uh, you know, I planted, and we went through the same struggle. He said we had nobody to help us. We didn't know where the next meal was coming from. We didn't know where the next dollar was coming from. He understood my struggle. And I have no problem with that. But now the same gentleman is in a, in a position and in a place where he's working with church planters. And he has at his fingertips hundreds of thousands of dollars that could help church planters run faster than he did. And I pointed a struggle out to him in one of our churches, and his statement to me was, I struggled, so they should have to struggle. What's up with that? That's not what we're called to. And you go, well, I, I would never be that way. Really? What we do is we see people around us struggling, and we don't help. We watch people go through nightmares, and we won't lift a finger because we struggled. They should have to struggle. No, no, wrong mentality. We're supposed to make it easier. Let me give you a point in case, then I'll be done. My dad made it easier for me to run this race. Because my dad, my dad's dad, abandoned him when he was about eight years old. Walked out of his life, never came back. I never met him. If the mindset is not right, what my dad would have done was he'd have said, I need counseling and I need help and I don't care about my own kids. I got to fix this in my own life. But my dad said, this happened to my, my life. I'm not going to allow it to happen to my son and my daughter. And he broke the cycle of fatherlessness and abandonment in our family. And our family has never been the same. And what I am calling you to do is to break the cycles of struggle and heartache and pain in the people behind you. That's what we're called to do. Indian running causes us to run faster. I want you to stand. We're going to get real practical this morning. I want to challenge you in several ways. I've struggled all week with how to do this, and I've, because I don't think at times we do enough altar time, so I'm constantly battling that, and I understand that. But please believe me when I tell you, I've, to the best of my ability, I think I have the mind of God on this. We'll do altar time next week. We will, I promise. I want to challenge some of you in this room that you need to approach perhaps people in this building, but maybe perhaps people in your life, that you've made it harder for them to run rather than easier.
wish we could say but that never happens, but it does. We all make it harder for somebody to run at times. So what I want to challenge you to do is I want to challenge you to go to that person. That's why we're not doing this at the altar because that's just such a dramatic thing. And You need to contact them and deal with them on a personal basis and ask them for forgiveness because your responsibility was to make their path easier, not harder. The second thing I want to do is I want to challenge you that before you leave today, I want you to encourage somebody. I want you to find an usher, a greeter, a child care worker, a sound technician, a singer, an instrument player. And I want you to encourage them. Some of them are tired. I encourage you to encourage them. It will do you some good. Then third, very practically. I've done all the hard work for you. No no excuses on this. We're getting ready to hand you a card. Every person's going to get one. It's already stamped. I bought your stationery, and I bought your postage. So no excuses. On the front, it says, keep running. On the back, it says, I believe in the power of the push. What I want you to do, do it today or tomorrow, you'll forget. I want you to take this card. And I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to bring to mind somebody in your life. Maybe it's way in the past. Maybe it's current that needs to be encouraged. And I want you to take this card and I want you to write them a note of encouragement. And I want you to drop it in the mail. You don't know what that might do for somebody. Well, it won't matter. It might just keep them from throwing in the towel and quitting. Ushers, would you give each person one? We're asking you to live out what we're talking. These are your drive cards today. You know we give out drive cards as you leave to drive home the application. This is your drive card this morning. We're going to literally do what we're talking about. One, to every individual, allow the Holy Spirit to bring to mind what He wants us to do. I'm going to pray over you, and then we're going to do one very practical thing. I am, at the close of this service, I'm going to release you to go and apologize if you need to. Two, I encourage you to encourage somebody. Three, send your card. But I want us to pray first, and then I'm going to do one more thing, and we're going to be done. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I pray that we would not ridicule or diminish what the previous generation has done for us. I stand here today a grateful runner for the platform and the foundation that was secured by those who have gone before us. We honor them in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray that you would teach us to run together. We don't want to become victims. We recognize that when we're by ourselves, we're easier to pick off. Help us to run together. Help us to get involved in one another's life. Father, I pray that we would push one another to greatness and our pace would quicken because of the relationships we're in. And Father, I pray that you'd give me a bunch of folks that are willing to reach back and point out the potholes and the obstacles and the debris on the road to a generation coming behind them. Help us to walk this word out today. I pray every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, 
you've never invited him to take over your life, I, I believe in the power of the push. I push you this morning. I declare that you will never run this race successfully without a relationship with him first. You need to know him. If you don't know Christ and you would like to know him, you would like to give him your life, we will not embarrass you. We just simply want to pray. If that's you, just quickly, before we do the last thing, would you just raise your hand and allow us to know who we need to pray for this morning? I want to start a relationship. I want to start this run brand new with him. Is there one? Is there one? Momentary wait. And I believe we're all believers. I want you to look at me quickly. I'm just going to do it like we did in the first service. Uh, Most of you received an email from me on Friday. You know, I don't ask for this very often. That should indicate to you the desperation of the situation. I was honest with the first service. I'm going to be honest with you. You really don't need to know the details other than the fact that one of our very faithful, committed folks is struggling in a desperate situation and needs help. I will also tell you what I told you last week since the first of the month. It's been unbelievable the amount of people that have requested assistance and we've responded. I I was trying to think yesterday of all the things we've done and I had to stop and really think about it because I'd forgotten some of the things we've done. And I'm just going to be flat out honest and transparent with you. We have given so much that we actually are in the red. And I'll tell you what God told me because when we got a request And I said, I can't do that. We're in the red. God says, either do it or die. That's an easy check to write then. Boy, I didn't even call the finance team. I just got the check out and wrote it. And so I got a request on Friday from this individual in our church that is in a desperate situation. They asked for help. My email back was, we'll pray for you. We can't do anything right now. I hadn't been off that email five minutes. And the Holy Spirit says, do it or die. I said, okay. We don't have it. That's why I respond. if we had it, I wouldn't even be asking you. We don't have it. We need to raise 1920 bucks. The first service responded. I've asked you and challenged you. $5. That's what we ask you to bring. Individual, each individual, $5. If you can't do that, do what you can. If you can do more than that, because do the math, $5 a piece ain't going to get it done. If you can do more than that, please do. We believe that we're getting ready to impact this life, this, this person's life and secure their future, and that is extremely important. So, ushers, if you come, this is what being in the race together is really all about. It's responding when the need is made known. As soon as you've been given the opportunity to give, the, the bucket goes by, you're free to go. But please don't go without finding somebody to encourage. Find a sound man. Find a singer. Find an usher. Go to the children's building and find a child worker. Find somebody and encourage them. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead you and encourage someone that's struggling today. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Please give. Please give. It's needed. Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress.